They are liars. And uh, we, all, we all know that. And by the way, if it is a Kosa woman, run. Run. She wants your money. Um, so, so we've got violent Zulus. Uh, we've got Kosas who lie and who want your money. And, and we've got vendors. We've got vendors. Where, where are the vendors? Witchcraft. <laughs> Witchcraft. <laughs> when every time, every time Solvent tells me, um, I'm, I'm saying, where are you this weekend? He says, we're going to Limpopo. I'm like, oh, I'm nervous. <laughs> like, what's, what's, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen here? Um, We've got English South Africans. My, my wife is, is, is English. Who, who, who else is, is English in the... No, you're not English. Um, um, so so, so the, the English South Africans, we don't trust them. They are, they are pretenders. Like that, that, that word, that, that term that talks about white noise, um, it's from the English because they... They always complain, man, and they, they, they look talking. Have you heard of a Karen? Have you heard of a Karen? So that is, those are the English. And the Afrikaners. Racists. Racists. And the other problem with the Afrikaner is, and it's perhaps even worse than our racism, very bad fashion sense. Very, very bad fashion sense. I'm the exception. Uh, and then uh, Twanas, do we have Twanas here? Twanas, Twanas are lazy and, and they are, they, they're too small to do real work. So, so those are the Twanas. Do we have any Sutus here? Any Sutus? A few Sutus. Um, the only people I know who eat your own transport. Um, you know, that's why when you, go, when you go to the Durban July, it says no sutus allowed beyond this point. Um, because they eat their horses. But, but, but you know what? What I've noticed about the Basutu is you, you guys have your blankets, right? But when a sutu has got money, you know what they wear? An electric blanket. Uh, and, then, and then we've got Indians. We don't, we don't have Indians here, but again, I told you, Sabu, the first words was Shaya. He wanted to, he wanted to hit someone. And uh, th when I learned how to count, it was Ian, Tuya, Dri, maybe some of you, one, two, three. But the Indians, how they learned to count is 199, 299, 399. <clears throat> and, then, and then lastly, do we have any pedis? Surely there must be a few pedis here. Okay. The Pedis. Um, have you guys heard of Bomabare? Bomabare. If you're a Pedi man, you cannot cut that umbilical cord. You are in love with your mother, and we need to talk about that. So, um, so here's the here's the here's the thing, friends. Um, we've got. This wonderful diversity in South Africa. And 
and and it's beautiful and I, I wish more people can sort of we, we, we can explore the other people's culture um, more and learn from it because that just adds to what makes this country beautiful but I do want to just take us in a different direction for a second and that is to say that it is easy for us over Heritage Day to become just a little bit sentimental in other words we and it's and it's beautiful and I and I and I want to celebrate that and we sing these songs and we're gonna bry and we're gonna play soccer but the reality is in this country we struggle with reconciliation we struggle to bring these different heritages together and every week when you read the news we are reminded of the fact that this is a constant struggle and and whilst we are in this positive, wonderful space where we are, are focused on the fact that one day in the kingdom of God, all the nations and all the tribes will be there. Yes, we can have that in front of us. But we need to be reminded that in this current moment, there are struggles. So will you indulge me as we just briefly walk through these struggles and hopefully end in the, uh, in the justice and the glory and the hope that we have in Christ. Okay. So there's a reason, friends. There are many reasons why we struggle. We've got a very polarizing history. Uh, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. But there's another reason why we also struggle. And it's not just in South Africa. It's globally. And it's a phenomenon that we've seen all, all over the, the world. And uh, I do not think that they are random. I think they are related. Do you guys ever watch... Uh, X Factor or Idols or The Voice, is that still a thing that people watch? Now, I remember in the, when I first watched uh, Idols, this is way back in, um, when it started, and, uh, and, and then you basically had somebody who sings, and if they sang well, then they had a good chance. If they were attractive, that helped them even more. So if you were not very attractive, you had to sing really well. And if you were very attractive, you didn't have to sing that well. But those were the two things that were important. You had to sing well and you had to be attractive. But these days, I've noticed, uh, when, when, when somebody comes up to sta uh, onto the stage and they're supposed to perform a song, then the presenter would say, um, let's welcome, what is your name, Baba? Tabang. Let's welcome Tabang. And then everybody claps hand. And then instead of Tabang singing or performing, we've got this shot of him at home. Have you guys noticed that? And then most of the time what happens is Tabang says, I've always loved singing, but one day tragedy struck. And, and then I'm like, oh, but I thought this guy is going to sing now. And then Tabang says, my cat died. Uh, <laughs> when I was five, and we used to sing together, me and my cat. <laughs> Um, and every time I, I sing, I, I remember little Kitty. Um, and then, and, and, and this performance today, I dedicate to little Kitty. And then he's back on stage, and then, he, then only does he sing. And it doesn't matter if you are Tabang or Yuan or Angela. It doesn't matter who you are. They always have a little backstory like that. Have you guys noticed it? And... And the reason for this, I think, is today people all identify one way or the other as a victim. And we struggle to relate to someone if they do not have a victim narrative behind them. Now, politically speaking, 
what I've noticed in this country is that you've got white people who are convinced that they are the victims in this country. Maybe you've heard of the word white genocide and the farm murders, and it was, again, very topical just a few weeks ago when Malema sang his song. And I've, 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 I've met lots of white people who are convinced that this, there is this coordinated attack against whites, and they call it white genocide. Now, whether that's fair or not, just forget about that for a moment. The fact of the matter is that these people see themselves as victims. A lot of black people see themselves as victims of white monopoly capital, of whiteness, of uh, 400 years of colonialism. You've got that group. You've got Indians and coloreds who said we weren't white enough in apartheid, we're not black enough now. Again, victimhood. You've got women who says that there's this terrible thing called patriarchy constantly oppressing us. You've got people on the LGBT spectrum saying that they are being oppressed um, sexually. You've got previously disadvantaged and previously advantaged people all claiming to be the victim. Now again, friends, I'm not saying that there aren't such a thing as victims. I'm just saying that in the moment that we live in now, it seems like everybody is trying to present themselves as the victim. Are you guys with me? All right, it's, 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 it's more of a sociological uh, phenomenon. And because of this, it makes reconciliation even more difficult. It was already difficult without this. And this has made it even more difficult. Now friends, we've got each group calling for justice. I've had my Afrikaner friends says, we want justice, this is wrong, this is wrong. I've had my black friends, we want justice, this is wrong. They both use the word justice. They both are Christian, but they mean completely different things when they use the word justice. It is difficult. We have to, we have to remind ourselves that this is a difficult thing that we are trying to do. In this room, we cannot agree on what justice is. I know that because Sabu and I, we have a discussion and a little bit of a, an argument like once every two weeks about some of these things. And so, so, so I know we sometimes struggle to agree on what justice is and what justice isn't in the complexities of South African life. So in this room where we worship Jesus and we love Jesus, we disagree. So this is difficult. So let me give you an example. Let me give you different justices for a moment. Remember I told you, we're going we're gonna to braai later, we're going we're gonna to sing some more, we're going to play soccer, we're probably going to be humiliated. Um, so, so all of these things are going to happen. But I just want us to just wrestle with how real our problem is in this country. But there's hope, so, so just hang in there. So let me give you one version of justice. Whites are being kicked out of, of faculties, whether it's at uh, UP or whether it is at WITS or whatever. And if there's a position that's open, there's no need applying because they need to reach their transformation targets. My child has eight distinctions. She can't get into medicine. Um, and there are kids without any distinctions getting into medicine just because of her, her skin color. Or I'm much better qualified, but there's a black person with less experience and less degrees who gets the job. Now, I've heard that plenty of times. And it is presented as Injust, uh, unjust rather. That's a version of justice. Let me read you another version of justice. For 400 years, black people have been excluded economically, educationally, and socially. 
And that injustice was socially engineered over hundreds of years. And the only way in which we can overcome that is to socially engineer the remedy, so to speak. What we see statistically in this country is that white people on average still earn three times more than the average black family. And that girl who, who got her eight distinctions and, the, and, and Tandi, maybe in Mamalodi, was doing her metric under candlelight. So you can't even compare the two. That sounds reasonable to me as well. Are you guys with me? Two justices standing next to each other. And when I listen to the one, I think that's reasonable. When I listen to the other one, I think that's reasonable. It's complicated. Just, I think it was this week, Sabu and I spoke about a discussion uh, that happened at the tutoring. Now, the tutoring in Mamalodi, I think, is, is the, w one of the shining lights in this country, and we should celebrate that. And Sishle, and as, as, the, as the spirit of that, is just a phenomenal, phenomenal person. Can we give her a round of applause? Um, I, um, sometimes I think of it as uh, Sishle and her husband, Sabu. Um, but you think more of Sishle. She's the power. She's the power in the, in, in the couple. We know that. And, um, and, and, and Sishle says, we are praying for you. Uh, the, the skin off of our knees. And we love you so much. And, um, uh, and we beg the Lord to just spare you because you are such a gift. Um, not only to, this, to, to your own church, but to the whole community. And I really mean that. Um, so at your tutoring, there was uh, a guy from, from Lichpent who's sort of involved, and he had a plan. He said, I need to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get this contract, but my BE is not in order, so I need to have more of a black-owned business. So rather what I want to do is I want to, instead of just giving my business away to a random or half my business away to a random black person, can we maybe make you guys the beneficiary and the co-owners of this business and then my money can just channel through the tutoring and we can help the tutoring but, in the, but then I'm not giving my, my, my money away to a, um, uh, to a random black business partner. Now, here's a version of justice. I'm the best service provider, and just because I'm black, I can't get a particular tender. I worked hard, and I'm not just going to give away half my company to a random guy. And um, what I would rather do is I would give it to a, a church who's doing well, but then they don't interfere in my business. That's one version of justice. Here's another one. Whites have been sidestepping BE regulations for decades, and they are just using blacks for fronting. This is, BE is a peaceful way of incentivizing black and white business partnerships, and you are just keeping blacks at arm's length. You'll rather do charity where you are the boss than business where you are equals. Sounds reasonable to me, again. So we've got well-meaning, good Christians on opposite sides of these difficult issues. So now the question is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Now, the passage that my brother read in beautiful... No, I didn't think you read the Luke passage in, in, in Afrikaans, but I still understood it, uh, uh, was, was in Luke 12. Now, just remember for a second that in this country, whether fairly or unfairly... By the way, I, I just need to put in this disclaimer. I'm not saying that there's no, there's no such thing as real victims. They are. I'm not saying that everybody is just playing the victim card. There are lots of people who are legitimately victims, 100%. But 
The only point I'm trying to make is, in the minds of all the different tribes, we are all victims. And that's what I'm trying to address. Okay. So now in Luke 12, there's this fascinating interaction that happens. So at, in verse 50 cents, 57, Jesus is saying, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. And I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the very last penny. So Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to reconcile. I want you to settle. Now, what is the context? Why is he giving them that message? Because at that time, the Jewish people were 100% being oppressed by the Romans. The Roman Empire was in town, and, and they were dominating almost every aspect of life. And during that time, there were different people claiming to be the Messiah. They were not just, it wasn't just Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. There were lots of people claiming to be the Messiah. And these other guys, who we can call messianic pretenders, what they did is they said, the time is here, and God is going to deliver, deliver Israel from the hands of our enemies, of our oppressors the Romans, and they got very excited about that. But here's the problem. Jesus is doing a lot of miracles. He's got a massive following, and people are very excited. They just want to make sure that his politics is good, that, he, that he's on our side, that he also hates the Romans, and he also wants to get rid of them. So, so what does Jesus do? He says, I want you to settle with them. I want you to reconcile. I want you to make a plan. By the way, he's not saying the Romans are right. He's not saying that they are not victims. He is just saying, settle, reconcile, make another plan. Don't go this path of, of warfare. And the people don't like it. So look, listen what they do. They do this. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. <laughs> so what's happening? Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to, 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 to look for peace, for reconciliation. And then they say, oh, oh, Jesus, you want peace and reconciliation. You know Pilate, the face of Rome? Did you know what he did to your people? You're from Galilee, right? Did you know what he did to the Galileans? He mixed their blood with that of the sacrifices. So he gives this very gory detail to, to get Jesus on, on their side. And what's Jesus' response? He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He doesn't fall for it. His own people are saying, no man, come on board, tell us. Uh, uh, this is what these Romans are doing, and uh, uh, we, we, we want you to have sympathy for our cause. Let's get rid of these guys. And Jesus just refuses, even when they come with very emotive language. They are blinded by their pain and by their hurt and by their history. And it wasn't an option for them to reconcile. And you know what's sad? We know that they didn't listen to Jesus. You know why? Because they eventually followed messiahs, not Jesus, but they followed messiahs into warfare. And in the year 70, 70 AD, the Romans finally had enough, and they came with the, uh, the, the general Titus, and they destroyed all of Jerusalem, all of Israel, destroyed the temple, and scattered the Jews, and, and, the, and the Jewish people only went back, so to speak, to their homeland in 1948. So for 2,000 years, there was no Jewish homeland, so to speak, because they chose warfare. They didn't want to reconcile, blinded by their pain. And the, the, the eventual suffering was just too much. 
This message, friends, is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Settle, settle. Now, we're going to talk about that, what, what settling means. We, we can talk about that in a moment. Just if you think that this is just random, it's not. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Jonah. Now, we always get stuck in Jonah because there's something fishy about the, the, <laughs> the story. And then people ask all sorts of weird questions of, ah, um, is it possible? What sort of fish was it that swallowed? That's, you're asking the wrong question to the text. The, the, the story doesn't care to answer uh, uh, questions like those. But there's one thing that's very interesting. God calls Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to the Assyrians and I want you to preach the gospel. Well, not the gospel back then, but I want you to, to, to preach a message of repentance. And what does Jonah do? He runs in the opposite direction. If Assyria is in the east, he goes to a boat and he goes to Tarsus. That's modern day Spain. He goes as far west as he can possibly go. Not only does he go west, he goes on the boat. Not only does he go on the boat, he goes at the bottom of the boat. So he's trying to go as far away from, from what God is telling him to do. Now we think, why? Why do you not want to go preach the message to those people? They, they, they need that, that, that message. Jonah had good reason not to want to go to Nineveh to preach the message to the Assyrians. I'll tell you why. Because the Assyrians, uh, my friend Daniel, who's here somewhere playing with somebody's kid, um, he, he always uh, uh, j j just shares with me how horrible and atrocious the Assyrians were. And there is this, do you guys know what a relief is? A relief is sort of those ancient... Um, sort of inscriptions that they put on the side of temples or famous buildings. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? All right, that's a relief. So, um, so, so, so the reliefs were around the temples like that. And in Nineveh, we found one of those reliefs. Modern-day Nineveh, I think, is, is somewhere Iran, Iraqish. And uh, we found one of those reliefs called the, the Battle of, um, is it... La Lachish, the Battle of Lachish. Now, Lachish was in Israel, and it was this town, and the, the, Nineveh, the, the, the Assyrians came, and you can see how they fought the, 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 the Israelites, and they defeated them. And then the next moment is you see these people carrying other people on poles. And what we know from the history is that they would get the family members of those who fought in the battle to carry them on poles whilst they are impaled. All right? Sorry if that is very gory, but they have to carry their loved ones on poles like that all the way back to Nineveh. Then you've got this strange little picture where, where they are standing like this. It, it looks like they are trying to, uh, uh, to fly. And what we know from what the historians tell us, no, 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 they were being skinned. That was the Assyrian practice. They would skin many of these people, and, uh, and then they would literally take that skin and put it on the walls of Nineveh sort of as a paper mouche type of thing. Sorry for, for this is gory, but we're only eating much later. But the, the, the point is that these people were absolutely brutal, monstrous, barbaric. And God calls Jonah and says, I want you to go preach a message to them. And what does Jonah say? No ways. No ways. I'm not going to go to them. Not because he's worried about what's going to happen to him. He's just like, Please, Lord, judge them. Please send lightning. I beg you. Come on. So eventually, after his weird detour, he's vomited up on a beach, and he goes to Assyria, and he gives the worst sermon in the history of sermons. He says, uh, repent or otherwise you'll die. Um, 
And you can imagine that he did it like very under his breath. I mean, whatever you want to do, it's repent. And, uh, and he becomes the most successful evangelist in human history. The whole city repents. Even the dogs and the animals were repenting with him. No, really, that's what the text says. Um, everybody, the king, is like, nobody's allowed to work for a week. We are horrible people. We need to repent. And Jonah's like, damn it. That's, this is horrible. This is, this, this is the worst thing ever. So the story of Jonah ends when he stands outside of the city and he looks at the city and he hopes, please God, please God, don't spare them. Please judge them. Please send lightning or whatever. And uh, he sits and he's angry. And God asks him, is it right for you to be angry? And he says, yes, it is. And then he asks God, please kill me. Please kill me. I would rather die than see my enemies survive. I would rather die than see my enemies come to God. It is this beautiful story, and that's how the story of Jonah ends. Again, Jonah is so annoyed, he is so hurt, and he's got legitimate reason to be hurt, that he cannot see the good that has come. It is impossible for him to even contemplate something like reconciliation. And there's this wonderful line where he says, I knew this was going to happen, God. That's why I fled in the first place. I knew you're a gracious God. I know your love is abounding. It's like, are you insulting him? He was insulting him. And today, today people are insulted by Christianity. You know why? Because of our message of peace and reconciliation. It's not very popular today. Um, I... uh, I remember talking to, to guys in a sort of a right-wing group um, when we were doing something uh, reconciliation-wise in, in Limpopo, there where, where you guys shouldn't go. And, um, and, and eventually this guy is just making one racist comment after the next, one racist comment after the next. And then I just said, listen, my friend, the only reason why we are doing this is because we are Christians and we believe that this is what God wants and we're trying to follow Jesus in this. And this guy, oh, don't come with your Bible nonsense. Now, I promise you, that guy's in church every, every Sunday. But he was so angry when I used the Bible to now talk about reconciliation or whatever. Don't, don't, don't come with that nonsense. People are not very excited about that message. I've had lots of friends when I, when I quote various passages of the Bible to them and say, how can you justify your racism with this? And then he says, no, but there's some other context there. There's some other context in the, in the Bible. That's not good exegesis. And I say, okay, what's the correct exegesis? I don't know, but that's not good exegesis. So, 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 so people do not like the message of God always. And Jonah is one of them. Now, friends, the reason why, why Jonah is called to be reconciled to the most horrible enemy imaginable, the reason um, why these these Jews who have suffered so much under Roman occupation, the reason why they are called to reconcile is because that is at the heart of the gospel. And that is the the first passage. Was it the second passage? The first passage um, that our brother read. And this is this this passage from 2 Corinthians 5, from from verse, what did you read? From verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Now, 
What's the message here? The message is God has, has absorbed our sin and He's granted us forgiveness and this enmity that existed between mankind and God is done. This is a new creation. Things are different. And He says, we have now the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we must go around and tell people, don't you know that we've been reconciled to God? Don't you know that we need to live in that reality? Don't you know that the relationships that broke down in the fall have been restored? And we need to live in that reality. Colossians 1.19, Jesus reconciled all things to himself. God is the great reconciler. But friends, you cannot separate the vertical dimension from the horizontal dimension. Never in scripture is it like that. So what are the relationships that goes wrong in the Garden of Eden after the fall? Alienated from God? Well, go for it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Janae, not just a pretty face. So, so what, Janae, what Janae is saying um, is that it is the relationship between us and God, the relationship between us and nature, and the relationship between each other. Those are the relationships that goes wrong. So now Paul is saying, don't you know there's now a new creation? In other words, those relationships that went wrong are now being restored. Are you with me? So, the relationship between us and God is now being restored. The relationship between us and nature is being restored. The relationship between each other should be restored. What is, by the way, um, the biggest commandment? And when Jesus sums it all up, he says, love God and love your neighbor. Can you see? It's always related. If, if, if the vertical dimension and the horizontal dimension cannot be, uh, uh, cannot be separated, when Paul, on the, on the road to Damascus, when God confronts him, what does he say? Who knows that line? Come on, Chesha Mama, I know you guys are Bible nerds. Um, what, does, what, the, what does the voice say? Paul, why are you persecuting me? Not my people. Not my people. He says, why are you persecuting me? But that, I think, illustrates the point. What Jesus is saying is... When, because it, it says that, that, that Paul was persecuting the church. He thought he was doing good for God. He didn't do anything wrong for, to God. He was just persecuting the, the church. But God doesn't make that distinction. Why are you persecuting me? When you hurt my people, you are hurting me. Can you see that this vertical dimension between us and God and the horizontal dimension in the biblical imagination is the same thing? Are you guys with me? And then eventually, Paul has that famous line in Galatians 3.28, where he says, There is now neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, woman nor man. We are all one in Christ. This is the fruit of this reconcili reconciliation activity that happens between us and God. He says, because of this new creation, because of this new life that we are called in, there is now no more enmity between races, between... Uh, classes between genders. This is the reality we ought to live in. You know there was a rabbinic prayer. The, the rabbis pray, prayed back in the day. Um, they, would, they would pray and say, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you that I'm a man. 
and thank you. No, thank you that I'm not a woman. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you that I'm not a slave. What does Paul do? He turns it on his head. He says, there's now neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. He takes that rabbinic prayer and just turns it on his head. He says, there's now no more enmity. So what now, friends? Because of this great thing that Jesus did and what he calls us to do as a church, what happens now? Do we just give up on the idea of justice? And by the way, when I think of justice, I'm not just thinking about it in racial terms. I'm thinking of it, uh, there are lots of injustices that happens within a family. There are lots of injustices that happens within a church. Um, so it's not just always on this macro level. Do we just surrender and say, ah, you know what, you've got your justice, I've got my justice, let's, let's do nothing? No, we don't do that. But what Christians do is as we struggle for justice in this country, we do it differently from the rest of the world. And you know what that is? We are mindful of our own brokenness. And we are reminded of the fact that the heart always tends to dress vengeance up as if it were justice. More often than not, when we, when we call something justice, that is our heart dressing up what is actually vengeance. There's this theologian, Leslie Newbigin, that I like, and he, he's got this amazing line. He says, when we are committed to God, we are committed to a God of justice. And justice means giving each his due. But our problem, seen in light of the gospel, is that we all overestimate what is due him and underestimate what is due his neighbor. And then he goes on and he says, if we do not have a justice which judges the justice for which we fight, we will not be agents of peace, but of lawless tyranny. Let me just explain that briefly. He is saying that yes, we have a justice, but as Christians, our justice are being judged as well. And that is why we need to ask God to come in and say, Lord, is this really from you? Are we in line, or am I now sort of just blinded but by my cultural or ethnic or gender uh, eyes and privileges? Is this justice truly from, from you? Can I ask you this? How does it feel to be wrong? Anyone, how does it feel to be wrong? Not nice. Not nice. No, you guys are wrong. <laughs> you know why? Because most of the time when we're wrong, we think we're right. So... To feel wrong feels exactly the same way as to be right most of the time because most of the time we hold on to falsehoods and we think we're right all the time. That's the problem. And I think that is one of the key things that the biblical worldview brings into this world and that is just be careful. Just because you are passionate about this, just because you hold dearly to this, doesn't mean that you've got the entire truth. It might be half a truth. It must, might be 90% of the truth. Bring it before God so that he can purify it. I know that I'm not allowed to talk about this, but we lost the rugby yesterday, last night. I wanted to cancel church, actually. Um, but, but you know what? The thing that happens immediately after a rugby game, it happens after a soccer game or whatever, is especially if we lose, the first thing we do is that ref. No, that referee. He did, he did this. No, that referee. Um, especially Afrikaans, I think, it's, I think it's black people as well, but, but white people, we are so biased. Like, 
We have no idea what the rules of rugby even is. Like, hi, man, how can you make that call? What's wrong with you? Open your eyes. We've got all these lines. You will be sitting in the stands. You can't see a thing. Ah, that ref, he's blind. You know. um, and, then, and then you've got the opponents. And they are usually also biased. And you know what I try to do is when after a game like this, I try to not read the South African opinions. I try to not read the Irish opinions. I try to read a neutral opinion. Like, what did the New Zealanders say about the game? And maybe that is something that we need to do when we are struggling with other people um, or with other groups of people. Maybe just ask God, God, I'm, I'm a little bit biased in this. Help me. Help me to see this with your eyes. Help me to see this from a, from, from a third perspective. The last point that I want to make is this, that you must seek justice. We must. We must not give up the fight for justice. But when we do it, we must always do it while seeking to be reconciled. They are not ex mutually exclusive. We must seek justice and at the same time seek to be reconciled. Um, you guys know uh, Tim Kelly. He's sort of uh, considered by many to be like the Protestant Pope. Um, and, and I just want to read a, uh, his, his response to this or his his take on this. He says, it is not enough to forgive perpetrators. You must also point out the injustice they have done. On the other hand, it is not enough to just seek justice. If you don't forgive, then you will go beyond justice into vengeance, and so not free yourself from what they have done to you. As Henry Nouwen said, by not forgiving, I chain myself to a desire to get even, thereby losing my freedom. A forgiven person forgives. This is what we proclaim when we pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. My friends, this is a lifelong struggle of the Christian life. There are then two ways to pursue justice. Out of vengeance and out of love. You can do it to satisfy your anger and desire to see the wrongdoer suffer. But this serves to harden your heart and make you more capable of hurting people yourself in the future. In addition, it, always, it's, it allows the perpetrator to continue to have control over you. But you can also pursue justice as the Leviticus verses hint out of love. It's our job to help the perpetrator see their wrongdoing out of love for them. Love for potential future victims, love for the human community, and love for God. The only way this is possible is if you forgive as you are seeking justice. When God is saying, I want you to reconcile with the Romans, settle with your accuser, he is not saying that you guys cannot name the wrong. When you forgive someone, friends, you are accusing that person at the same time. You know how I know that? Because sometimes when me and my wife fight, and it happens about every Wednesday, uh, <laughs> Then, um, then there would be, do you guys know that w w when there's sort of a stalemate, nobody is moving their positions, and there's now just a silence. I've heard her position, she's heard my position, and we are not in agreement. And uh, there's this silence in the house, all right? Um, and then, because I'm just spiritually so mature, I, I, I'll take the first step. I'll take the first step, and I would just go to her and say, you know what, Lorraine? I forgive you. I forgive you. <laughs> and you know what? For some reason, her heart doesn't melt. 
She doesn't say, oh, what a kind and wonderful husband you are for forgiving me. She's like, you forgive me. You've got the cheek to forgive me. I, I need to forgive you. That's, that's, that's what needs to happen. But why is she responding in that way? Because she knows that if I forgive her, I am accusing her as well. Do you see the beauty of it? If we forgive, we are not just throwing our hands in the air and say, ah, everything is okay. No, no, no. If you forgive someone, you are accusing that person as well. But they need to happen together. We seek justice, we seek reconciliation, and we forgive as we try to do that. Now, friends, that might be an easy thing to try and do um, as I reflect on on something as trivial as my wife and I fighting about the dishwasher or, um, or, or whatever. But it becomes very difficult in the world where people are really hurt, where there's genuine trauma, when there's genuine abuse. It becomes really, really difficult. And maybe that's you this morning. And then I want to tell you to maybe... Maybe you can't say, I forgive that person. Maybe you can't even say, I want to forgive that person. Maybe you can't say, I want to reconcile with that person or that, that people group. Maybe that's not where you, where you are. Then I think the prayer that you can pray is, Lord, I don't want to reconcile with, with that person or with those people. I do not want to forgive them. But help me to at least want to want to forgive and reconcile with them. Maybe that's the only prayer that can come out of your, your heart at the moment. That's okay. But because we are bound by the gospel, we must at least want to, want to go into the direction of, of reconciliation. My friends, I, if we're only interested in justice, many people say we first want justice, then reconciliation. You ne- you, you're going to get neither. Rather, we need to seek justice through reconciliation. The two run alongside each other. Let me just say one thing to to end off with, and it's going to be very uh, uninspiring, and it's going to be very unsatisfying. The Bible doesn't give us a political blueprint. Many people say capitalist is the Bible position. No, it's not. Many people say communism, that is the true biblical. No, it's not. Uh, maybe say, many say a multicultural society in a liberal democracy. No, it's not. You can have a democracy and a monarchy, and they can both be equally biblical and equally unbiblical. Are you guys with me? Unfortunately, we don't have a blueprint like that. But what is clear is that however we figure this thing out in South Africa, We need to do it together. We need to be mindful of our own mistakes as we do this. And we must seek to reconcile. I want to end off with the following quote. Forgiveness and reconciliation fails because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. But no one can be in the presence of the crucified Messiah for long without overcoming this double exclusion, without transporting my enemy from the sphere of the monstrous into the sphere of shared humanity. And no one can be in the presence of the crucified Messiah without uh, transporting myself from the sphere of the proud innocence 
into the sphere of common sinfulness. Can you see at the foot of the cross, that is where we can start to pursue justice. At the foot of the cross is where we can pursue reconciliation. My friends, I, I, I shared with you this morning, I, I thought we could, we could do a, um, a nice, uplifting kumbaya sermon, and we talk about the different uh, races and just how wonderful it is in God's, God's kingdom. And that's true. But when Sabu and I spoke about it, we thought, let's put the difficulty of what we struggle with in this session, in this setting, and let's frame it with song and eating and soccer together. Because we are not denying that we've got difficult work ahead of us, but we are affirming that there is hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are, we are just reminded of, of the beauty of this country and the difficulty and the struggles that we have in this country. We are, we are reminded of the fact, Lord, that we've got such a far way to go. We've got such so many remnants of our past that still persists to this day. There's so much animosity that we still have towards each other. There's a lot of distrust. Then, Lord, there's a lot of confusion about how to live in this new South Africa. And a lot of people are immigrating. A lot of people are uh, just trying to get as far away from the problem as possible. But it is our prayer this morning, Lord, that we will face our issues head on. But we will, that we will not do it out of a lust for revenge and payback. But that we will do it in an effort to really see your justice flow in this country. Lord Jesus, there are a lot of hurt and broken white people in this country. There is, there are a lot of people blinded by, by their victimhood, or at least their perceived victimhood. There are a lot of people who are hurt, and maybe they have suffered injustice at the hand of a black person or of black people. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't, Lord, but we pray that you will soften their hearts and call them to this command to reconcile. Lord, there are a lot of hurt and broken black people in this room, in this country, who have suffered severely and who are suffering severely from apartheid. Maybe they've experienced in, uh, the horrible interactions with white people or maybe just from the system at large. Again, Lord, we pray that your gospel will soften our hearts. And as we wrestle with these real problems, that we will do it and that we will speak the truth and that we will seek justice in love, not in vengeance. Lord Jesus, the whole world, the whole country, everybody is just talking about justice and everybody is just talking about race. But Lord, I pray that the church will have a unique voice in this space, that we will show the world what it might look like 
not with cheap answers, not with sentimental answers, not with cute little videos alone, but that we will show them that we are mindful of these difficult things around us, Lord, but that we are committed, 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 committed to make this work. And Lord, we cannot do anything other because you can reconciled us to you. And you, if you have reconciled us to you and if you have forgiven our sins, who are we to withhold that from others? Who are we to not try and seek it and walk that, that journey with you? Lord Jesus, we want to pray for the church in Mamalodi. We want to pray for Pastor Sabu. We want to pray especially for Sishle, Lord. Um, a, a, a sister that we just admire and we beg you, Lord, to to heal her. We beg you, Lord, to continue to bless the church in Mamalodi and uh, our Lord, help them to flourish in a very difficult part of, of our country. Lord, we pray for our own community here, for, for dialogue, Lord, that we will continue to bridge gaps we can continue to build relationships with um, with people outside of our tribes we pray Lord in a, in, a, in a city like Pretoria that's always stood for division and apartheid that that we can be a small multicultural community that that testifies that is a living testimony that in Jesus we can do this thank you for the friendship between the churches Lord Thank you for your church, because ultimately that is the reason why we are here today, because you called us here, and we need you, Lord, and we thank you, in Jesus' name.